On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we return to the town of Derry 27 years later to take on that evil killer clown, Pennywise. That's right, we're talking It Chapter 2. Get your popcorn ready. It's starting again. You need to come home. Pennywise. The clown. We didn't stop it. <laughs> Close your eyes. You don't believe. Close them and see. Please. It, Chapter 2, Rated R, September 6th. Welcome all you good movie buddies to The Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Malhorn. David, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You doing good? Yeah, I survived. You, you survived? No yep. nightmares? No nightmares. No clowns got well, you? I haven't gone to sleep since I've seen it, so That's we'll true. See. That's fair. We will see. <laughs> uh, we're, we're circling back around, man. This goes back. This one, what's funny about doing this podcast for as long as we do is that we're now getting the opportunity to do sequels of movies in which we've done episodes of. So it's really interesting to kind of go back and listen to our thoughts there and try not to duplicate the conversation that we had you know if you go back and listen to chapter not chapter now i'm gonna be calling everything chapter if you go back to listen to episode 15 of the popcorn diet that was our first uh horror movie and it was for the first it it i guess now to be known as it chapter one i'm not sure and we did it up man we 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 Dressed up like clowns. We went to the clowns only screening. Mm -hmm. You can find us. If you follow us on Facebook, we have the video up from that event a couple years ago. And now we're back. We established that you're not a fan of horror movies. We established that you really didn't want to go see this movie. Uh, but there was, a, there was a lot. And we weren't, unfortunately, able to do that all again this year. You know, we're busier. You have more children than mm -hmm. you did then. And... Uh, uh, instead, though, we did we did obviously carve out the time to see it chapter two. Now, I don't know why you wouldn't be listening to an it chapter two podcast if you didn't see it chapter one. But suffice it to say, we're going to spoil it chapter one before we spoil it chapter two. So when we when we talk non spoilers, we're talking it chapter two non spoilers. It chapter one is fair game, everybody. So just be warned. And for those of you who, who don't know what It Chapter 2 is all about, it's all about Derry. It's all about Pennywise coming back 27 years later to torment the now grown-up Losers Club who have long since drifted apart. They've long since forgotten their experiences fighting him back in 1989. And I was, I'm, I was excited for this because it, it, this was... The it's not like any other sequel, you know, it is like a Lord of the Rings sequel where we know that there's a finite story to be told. I mean, I guess we'll find out if they make any more. But this was the second part of the adaptation of Stephen King's book series. So I was excited to see the story end. How about you? Did you did you find yourself having some of the same thoughts that you had 
originally where because you weren't very hyped about it. The trailer was trailer creeped you out. The, the first trailer was terrifying. Right. Um, this one, I think they took a different approach to the trailer. They focused mostly on that. Or at least the one that was memorable to me. I know there was a couple different trailers. Sure. But they focused mostly on that scene with Beverly and the old lady the in old the lady. house. Um, and we know Pennywise's... We have the benefit of the first movie in our back pocket now. Well, and you've seen him. He's jumped out at you enough times. He's been big and scary and all that good stuff. So, right. like, we've seen kind of his shtick. So I think, like, always the second time it's not going to be as scary as the first whenever right. you kind of know what he looks like what his moves are all that kind of stuff what the and rules so, are yeah and so i think once you're familiar with kind of the landscape i think you know it's it's never going to be quite as scary because you're expecting it i think the other thing is is like you grow up and you now have this on the adult landscape from that standpoint right. not that he can't just as easily kill adults as he can kids but um, it's a little bit different dynamic. Like the first one, I know we kind of, and we weren't the only ones saying this, but a lot of people felt like it kind of took them back to like the Goonies. Right. Like a and, super intense Goonies. Yeah. And this one, we're not really used to like, they're grown up kids, but we're kind of putting them in the same kids positions. Sure. And like, we see how, I mean, they're the same kids, but they've grown up. Yeah. And so. It's a little different dynamic from that standpoint, but um, I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, on a high level, I enjoyed it, you know, for a for a horror film. I'm not big into those, but I think um, while I, I would probably be in the, the stance that it's not quite as good as the first one. Sure. It's also not bad from that standpoint. Sure. And we'll and we'll get into we'll get into the non spoiler kind of reviews and our popcorn reviews in a second. But one of the things that struck me the most that I wanted to talk about before we get into the specifics was I wanted to pose a question to you. I did a little bit of research. I didn't do a ton, but in my opinion, you look at this film and to me, this is one of, if not the first, and this might be a controversial statement, one of the first blockbuster horror films that I can imagine seeing. And what I mean by that is not box office because, you know, horror films tend to do very good. Uh, we'll talk about the box office in a second. But just the size and the scope of it. This movie felt bigger than any other horror film that I have I can remember seeing. You know, and most horror films are small in scale. That's why horror films are so popular to make because they're cheap to make and they make a decent amount of money. They mm -hmm. don't make a billion dollars worldwide. This is one this is the highest grossing horror movie of all time and I, and we got the stats for that. So what's interesting about this is that it is so much bigger in its scope. It mm -hmm. is so much in the sets. Like there are huge sets in this movie that you would normally see in giant epic fantasy movies, a Lord of the Rings, uh, a Harry Potter uh, kind of this kind of reminded me of that. The mythology. Mm -hmm. There's there's a couple sequences where they do a little kind of flashback. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Exposition. You know, like how they did in Harry Potter. How it's like, oh, we got to learn about what the Deathly Hallows are. So we're going to do like this stylized sequence. They have some stuff in here as well. And it's just really big. So what, what do you think about that? Because obviously there are big films. 
movies like Get Out, you know, make make money. Movies like, I mean, going back to The Exorcist, make money, but those are still feel relatively small and intimate. How did you feel walking out of this? Because that was one of my major thoughts was that, man, this movie is a big movie. It feels big. Yeah, and you know what? For me, I didn't, I guess I kind of walked out feeling like it didn't come off that much bigger than the previous one. Okay. I guess if, if you talked me through it, you would probably convince me. And, and you know, even as I think through it, I do. But to me, it feels a lot of the same. Yes, we have you know, and we'll get into some of the specifics of it, but there's some, you know, when they get into the mythology and that, obviously they used a whole lot more effects and did a lot of different things that they didn't do in the first one. Um, they kept Pennywise a little bit smaller. I feel like it saved for the, the climax scene in the first one. Right. Um, there was a little bit more to him. In this one, he takes on a lot of different shapes and forms and, things, and, forms and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so I think there's a lot more effects on that standpoint. But I also think when you're dealing with adults, you kind of have to raise that up. Like, uh-huh. you know, when you're comparing, you know, an adult-sized clown, <laughs> and I know that's not what he is necessarily, but when you're comparing adult-sized clown to a bunch of, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh graders right he's you know he's, gonna he's always going to seem big and intimidating sure. to them whereas you get grown people you've got to kind of up it up uh, another level for it to feel truly like okay this this is an even fight or you know right. it's a it's a difficulty for them from that standpoint so um from that standpoint i i think you know, because of the way that the story's told and the structure that it's put in, and we'll get into that more mm-hmm. with a lot of flashbacks and a lot of intertwining of of time and what's real, what's not real, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can definitely tell there's more budget put in that because when you're doing the original where it's there is no flashbacks to look at or right. things like that. It's basically them in the town. It's it's obviously going to be quite a bit less expensive as well as when you get into paying, you know, a handful of big names to act in this yeah. movie. Like that's obviously going to push budget too versus paying a bunch of child actors. So, right. I mean, all of that I think contributes to it. To me, it just didn't feel like it was that different from the first one, which I like. I I like it when there's some cohesiveness between the two and it feels like it's just building on the previous one from that standpoint. Sure. And I, and I would agree with a lot of that. I mean, especially in regards to budget, the first film made 35 million or cost about $35 million and it was a bunch of kids. Zero budget goes to the actors pretty much. This one, you got Bill Hader, you got Jessica Chastain, you got James McAvoy, you got big people in this movie on top of the kids who have been brought back on top of, some of the bit parts and things like that as well. So naturally that budget's going to be bigger. I actually thought that it was a larger budget than what's been reported. What's been reported is that the budget for this is about 60, 70 million dollars, which is fairly expensive for a horror movie. Most Mm -hmm. horror movies, they try and crank out under 40 and then try and make, uh, you know, a little over a hundred and they turn a quick profit. Now, I wanted to talk about box office for a second as well. On top of it being, in my opinion, I feel like it was a bigger film just in terms of scale and scope and all those things I talked about. But it's also a bigger film in terms of length. (laughs) 
This mm-hmm. is a long, long movie, David. This is longer than I think maybe any other horror movie has any right to be, including this one. It's almost three hours long. It's yeah. two hours and 49 minutes long. And I feel like, yeah, it's long, but also when you make the biggest horror film of all time, you earn a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? You earn a little bit of leeway from the studio, right? You earn a little bit of privilege. And I think that I think that the director, um, uh, Andy Muschietti, earned that by making the first It as big of a success as it was. And, and as that being as big of a success as it was, it made over three – I think it made over $370 million domestic. It made over $700 million worldwide. Just to give you a, an idea – of where that falls in other successful horror movies at and this is not inflation so exorcist and jaws made more with inflation but jaws made 260 million and exorcist made 232 million a little bit more recently films like get out and us they they're in the 150 to 170 range in terms of money that they made so here's another question for you, David, and we'll get, again, more into spoilers here uh, after, after, afterwards. We won't get into spoilers now, but is this movie a victim of its own success in some ways? It's hard to argue, no. It's hard to argue no, I would say, but it's a, it's a matter of, it, in my opinion, it is a victim of its own success, but it's a matter of how much that, that affects you, I guess. I guess to me, I don't think it's a victim at all. Interesting, because okay. I mean, yes, maybe on a critical standpoint, it's a victim of its own success because like all sequels, it suffers from there being a bar set versus the first movie. There's no bar set. In this case, it had a very low bar set in the TV version of it. Right. Um, That being said, I think this one, it has something to carry on. It has a foundation laid, which is going to help it, which is going to drive people to go see it. Um, do I think it'll make as much as the first one? Probably not because again, the first one was so anticipated because of the gap from when we last saw it, Mm -hmm. people's attachment to what it meant to them, what their memory of it was, you know, everything that kind of goes with, you know, that nostalgia factor. Um, and then I think you get into this one where it hasn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have the memories as much. Sure. You know, most people remember more of the stuff from I would I would say the first it's, one covers. It, it's set, yeah. You don't have that '80s nostalgia that's been so hot lately. Exactly. It's modern times. Yep, it's modern times. Um, there's always going to be a because the first was so well received. There's always going to be like a a much greater, um, you know, microscope on it from a standpoint of people nitpicking it, right. comparing it, that kind of thing. Right. And so I think all of those are things that are necessarily working against it. But at the same time, like I think it also benefits from at the end of the day, you end up stepping back and really looking at this film as one long film versus a film on its own. So this film, you know, down the road, I feel like it's going to get lumped together because it's one full story. It's not your traditional sequel where it's like, you know, whatever they're fighting a new person, a different person down the line, you know, the normal escalation of it. 
it's them they're coming back and completing this story that we knew they always were and so i think for me at least when i look back on this you know a year or two from now i'm going to look at it probably more all together versus separate sure and which leads me this is not really a question per se but i do i wonder if you follow in this philosophy with me it's not the first time i brought it up but i personally believe that book adaptations could almost exclusively go to television series now. And by television, I'm, I'm including streaming series as well. You talk your Amazons, your Netflixes, your Hulus, your Disney Pluses, whatever. But at the end of the day, we have over five hours of movies with between It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2. And I think they could have easily just turned that into a six-episode you know, Amazon Prime series. Here's the problem with that, though, that because I think we talk about that all the time is could this be a Netflix series? Could this be an Amazon series? Whatever. Could this be a show? The problem is, is that if you make a good show, a la Stranger Things, you know, things like that. Right. Another thing that this gets compared to a lot because of some of the similarities one is never good enough. And so you run out of the source material at some point, And then there's always something that leaves you jaded. Look at Game of Thrones. That's an Game of Thrones. Point. Yeah. Game of Thrones was massively popular. And as it, when it ran out of source content, you saw it slowly lose that glimmer. And then in the ending, you know, obviously tons of people had issues right. with, with how the, um, the series ended. And so I think that's one of the, the dangers that you get when you, if they were to have made it a uh, TV series, uh -huh. is I feel like it would have been really well received through the source content. And then when you got outside of that and you got into, you know, years beyond, or even if you went the other route right, and did tried prequels, to make a second season. if you tried to make a second season, you're screwed. And, and that's where I think, like, if we go back to, like, 10, 15 years ago when like TV movies or TV miniseries used sure. to be more popular. Like to me, it fits more in line with maybe that, which obviously it, that's what it originally was. Right. Um, was like a TV movie miniseries it type was, of thing. Yeah. It and was a so, two part miniseries. Yeah. And so I think this would be really good if someone could show restraint, which we don't have anymore of we're going to make eight hours of, of it. And that's it. And that's it. Sure. But you know that wouldn't happen. It would be hard to do. And I forgot. That's a really good point because a lot of these television series, they're either taking like a Jack Ryan series isn't adapting to books. They're adapting to character. Yep. Uh, the Game of Thrones adapted every book until they couldn't get to it again. I long believe that we're going to get a Harry Potter television show in our life. Yeah, I think they were just so successful. You've got to you got to wait. wait a little bit. Yeah. And for this, let me throw this at you. What is some company bought the rights and i don't even know if this is possible but bought the rights of every stephen king book because a lot of his books are loosely connected in certain ways there's there's little touches here and there there's mm -hmm. a stephen king overall universe you know sure. and they tried to do this with the dark tower mm -hmm. and they have been uns gloriously unsuccessful at that um but what if they did like a stephen king anthology television show where each year was a different book and it used maybe the same actors, maybe brought in different actors, crossover actors, kind of like American Horror Story does 
obviously American Horror Story comes from a, a fairly original content, but mm-hmm. that could work, maybe. I don't know. Potentially. I think, again, I don't think it would feel necessarily... It'd be tough to make it feel cohesive, and sure. then I think you always obviously run into judging one versus the other, especially when you're taking from source, like it was better than whatever dark tower or whatever you want to say. Like um, you're always going to go through kind of your ups and downs. I feel with that, but I I mean, it definitely would be interesting and it would have been nice to have, even though these movies were freaking long, it would have been nice to have been able to explore a little bit more of their stories, um, fill in some more of the gaps We'll talk when we get into spoilers about all of my questions about this yes. this world. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it, it definitely, I think it, it could have worked. My fear is you would have ended up with a bad taste in your mouth at the end of all of it because of the fact that no one can stop it, just the source content anymore. Because if it's popular, we got to make more. We got to make more. Sure. Of course. So before we get into spoilers, obviously we want to talk non-spoilers, give our our actual non-spoiler thoughts of the film. Uh, And the way I describe this film, David, I've described it a couple times. Like this movie to me is like the bad boys two of horror movies. Like that's how I felt watching it. And I mean that in the best of ways. I mean that in the worst of ways, this film this is a film of excess, okay? There is, in my opinion, there is a lot of uh, shagginess on this movie. There is a lot of uh, uh, excess, you know? It's a 250-minute horror movie, and I think that works in some places. I think it works really effectively when it comes to character development. I think it really works effectively when it comes to emotionally connecting with these adults, but I think it hurts in a lot of other places as well. Um, first and foremost, I think the performances are phenomenal, and I think that they are very real in their in their sadness and their humor. You know, I saw a lot of myself in certain characters in this movie because of their certain introspective feelings or certain ways they handle outside of themselves. Like obviously, Bill Hader, I think everybody universally agrees is like the standout in this movie. And I don't think that that's hard to agree on because he makes the biggest impression. He's got the funny lines. He's Richie Tozer in the first movie was the big, loud, funny guy. Everybody likes the loud, funny guy as long as he's actually funny. Um, But everyone else I thought did a really good job as well, despite the fact that maybe not every character was as well fleshed out as Richie. Like, Richie has this whole inner turmoil and arc. Ben has this whole inner turmoil and arc. Mike, played by Isaiah Mustafa, uh, also known as the original Old Spice guy, mm-hmm. he is kind of like the, the sage Morgan Freeman character. And I'm not just saying that because he's black. I'm saying that because, like, he literally exists to tell people what's going on. Like, we need to do this thing. So there's not a lot there to him. And the same goes with McAvoy and his character, Bill, in that he's a pretty straightforward hero that has his 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 demons, his his guilt and whatnot. But there isn't doesn't really feel like there's anything deeper than him there. What would you say is some of your favorite parts about the performances or characters or things like that? Well, I think I agree that Hater playing Richie is definitely the the most memorable, but I would also argue that, um, oh, James Ransom as Eddie 
mm-hmm. um, held up pretty well Fantastic. with with Bill. And I feel like the dynamic of those two worked really well and are definitely the most memorable. Obviously, Chastain was great. Right. She's always great, it, it seems. Um, but she was also very much a Jessica Chastain character. character. Yeah. And I would argue that Beverly in the first movie, that's why everybody walked away saying like, Jessica Chastain better play <laughs> Beverly in uh-huh. the sequel uh-huh. because it just reminded you of Jessica Chastain. Um, the way the character was with kind of that, um, you know, not everything has gone right. More of the serious role, but has some fun in her, but also is, you know, like yeah, a very strong, uh, a strong woman or strong presence on there. And, and you got that from Beverly, like even though she has her weaknesses and her demons and all that kind of stuff. She still comes off as that strong, sweet at times, you know, all that kind of thing to her. And so I think she does a great job, but she's never going to be the the memorable part. She doesn't get the memorable, she doesn't get the flashy part of this. And I would agree with McAvoy, even if you go back to the the first movie, you know, Bill, while at times he's kind of the leader of that, I would say he's probably, him and Beverly are the two most significant roles by a little bit sure. in the first film. Um, but at the same time, I think you even look at who is most memorable from the first film. And I would argue that it's Richie and Eddie. Sure. They certainly have the biggest like post it kind of careers right now. Well, and even going into that, because I think Stranger Things had happened before Mm -hmm. the first it. Mm -hmm. So, um, the character or the the actor playing Richie had already had that to kind of bring he had that going to the for table. Him. Um the uh Jack Dylan Grazer who played young Eddie, he's showing up in Shazam now. He's showing up at things. Sophia got uh Nancy Drew, although I'm not sure that movie came out and if it did, I'm not sure it made any <laughs> money. Um I would also say when it comes to performances, to me it you can say Bill Hader is the most memorable, but to me Let's let's give it up for Skarsgård. I mean, oh, Bill. Oh, Billy Skarsgård. He's here. fantastic. And I think it gets lost in how good he is because it's obviously a lot of CGI and a lot of things like that right. to this character. But, I mean, he's fantastic again. And, and I think it's easy in horror movies to not really give credit to the person playing the quote-unquote monster uh-huh. or whatever that is because uh-huh. of that. Um, but he does such a great job in this and did a great job in the first one, too. There's such an interesting dynamic to Pennywise in that he's not just a monster. He's not just like Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or the shark from Jaws or any other monster out there. And he's not just a killer talking clown either. He has actual depth in his actions and what he does. And it carries over from the first film as well. You know, the whole reason he doesn't just go around eating kids he, he's got to screw with them a little bit is because it builds up the flavor. You know, it's it's the thrill the of the hunt. You know, it's it's like adding foie gras on top of a, a, a delicious steak. You know, it, it, it builds and adds to it. So when you see those things in here, it, it carries over and it makes sense. And there's also a level of odd. I don't want to say camaraderie, but there's a couple of times in the film and this isn't too big of a spoiler. I don't think where he expresses the fact that he misses 
these, these oh I missed you guys like and I think he genuinely believes that if if nothing else than from like an escaped prey type standpoint the one that got away the one that got away absolutely oh you're back you gave me the biggest the biggest fight and the biggest thrill I've ever I've ever had and I've missed it and now I'm now I'm back and you're back and and that's really interesting um, how did you feel this story played out? I, in my opinion, and, and we'll talk into what was like shaggy in the spoilers here, but I, I, I did some research and I found out that some of the shaggy parts in this movie are shaggy parts in the book as well. And, and to me, that is one of the reasons, that's, that's the, the, one of the pratfalls or pitfalls, whatever you want to call it, of cleanly adapting source material. Where you, oh, we're just going to adapt it. You know, we're going to, oh, this guy's included in it. All right, well, we're going to bring them in. And it's interesting that they included some parts of it and they, they excluded other parts of it. Um, but again, I, I, as shaky as the story was, I appreciated the way that this, this film, much like every other horror film, but this film is structured a lot like a horror movie and it's structured very similarly to the first one is where, there are when I say set pieces, I'm basically talking about the scary scenes. You know, sure. it's the set pieces. When I say set pieces, for those of you listening, I'm referring to like any action sequence. So, like Jurassic Park, the T Rex escape, that's a set piece. And there's talk in the middle, there's talk at, at the beginning, at the end, there's stuff that pads those set pieces, right? And in the first film, you had a bunch of different set pieces. You had the, the leper, you had the. Um, the whole Georgie sequence. You had all of these different set pieces where Pennywise terrifies the kids either one-on-one -on -one or as a group. And I, and I appreciated that they kind of match that here as well, where there are similar set pieces where they, they are individual moments of terror. And I like the variety between those individual moments of terror and the way that those set pieces not only provided scares and jumps and shocks and, and gnarly things to look at, but also a level of character depth. Most of these set pieces are based on what scares these characters, the deep-seated fears of these characters. And I feel that that's really interesting because it allows us to get the scary movie aspect of it, but it also intertwines it with character development. How did you feel about it? Did you feel it got repetitive at all? Did you feel that it got a little... I mean... It's I had the same feelings about it as I did in the first one, and I know there's 40 minutes difference sure. between these yeah. two. But at the same time, I remember... Because in the first one, if you remember, they have the fight, and then they all go their own separate ways, and then they all deal with their interaction with Pennywise kind of one at a time. Okay. And if I'm remembering it right, at least in this film, it's this it's similar, except, you know, they choose to go. There's no fight sure. or that, but they each choose to go their own way. And we'll talk about why and get into some of the specifics of that. But then we each have their own interactions with Pennywise again. And I think because it's so familiar, there's good and bad in that. It follows the same format. There's consistency. It reminds you of that first. It's callback to the first. But at the same time, like because there's so many characters in this group, you kind of get the gist by the end of it, right. you know. And so I think it takes away a little bit because of how extended they are, and they're all really great on their own. But because they fully commit to them and they give them each 
a good amount of time, by the time you get to the last ones, you're kind of worn out on them. And right. you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen. Somebody's they're going to go, they're going to go looking for this. And then Pennywise is going to, something's going to pop out. And, <laughs> you know, like, and I think you kind of lose track or lose focus on like what they're actually trying to tell through that scene. Right. It, it's easy to kind of just nod off through that, not actually literally nod off, but you know, stop paying as close attention because you're like, okay, I've seen this before. Yeah, and so, that's where I thought a lot of the trimming could happen. Like each one of those scenes probably could have trimmed a minute. Yeah, and I think the th- the hard part about this is that they cho- they chose to give everybody very similar screen time. I feel like overall, like yes, which they I felt- appreciated because there are some unknown, like some lesser but known that, actors. But that's that where got you heft. But that's where you get into almost a three hour movie is. Like most films are not trying to equally divvy screen time between six or seven people. Right. Like the star is the star. There's always a star and maybe one or two supporting people that get a lot of love. And then everybody else gets minor parts. You think of most horror movies like there's a couple people that are present throughout. There's Uh the people that get picked off early on that don't get a whole lot of depth to them. They try to give that depth good and bad to all the characters, which leads to a really long movie. It's a long movie, and it is what it is, you know. And and again, I respect the fact that Warner Brothers is willing to let, you know, let uh, everybody make this film, whether it be Stephen King, whether it be whether it be Andy Muschietti, uh, Gary Doberman, you know, all these guys. Like, I respect that there's a nearly three-hour horror movie that, that, that exists. I respect that. I like that. Just like Bad Boys 2. Bad Boys 2 is like two hours and 45 minutes. The action is insane. It's it's bloated. It's got crazy humor. And that's the other thing I really liked about this movie. Is this movie is very, very funny. And it's all... Some of it, for better or for worse, there are a couple moments that didn't quite work for me. And most of the humor comes from Richie and Eddie. It comes from Bill Hader and James, James Ransom. But that is them as their characters. And I actually really like that because with McAvoy, I see McAvoy. With Chastain, it's a little less because it was already kind of preordained that it was going to be Chastain. For Ben, who goes from chubby kid to like this jacked dude, it's it's okay. I, I'm into that because I'm not familiar with this guy. But with <laughs> Hader and Ransome... You know them a little bit more, Hater more than Ransom, but they fit Richie and Eddie perfectly. Where it's like, oh my God, this is the little kid grown up. Yeah. And I love that. And I love how fast they are. And they really just slip right back into busting each other's balls and, and making fun of each other and all that kind of stuff. And it's really fun. There, there are those moments where you remember that these people are friends. Um, did you find yourself listen? We're going to get into, into spoilers and whatnot, but did you find yourself like emotionally affected at the end at all? I'm not going to lie. It got a little dusty for me. I, I rolled a tear. No. And that's fine because <laughs> you're not an emotional well, you're a no, robot. Well, here, one. there's definitely parts that bring up that nostalgia from your childhood. Um, without a doubt, there's things that call back to your childhood, things that remind you of you and your friends and you think back to, you know, we've had a couple of movies, I feel like, I think Toy Story 4 kind of went on with this a little bit too, from yep. the standpoint of just the concept of growing up in general, how 
Um, and we just saw another film and I'm blanking on which one it was, but basically the, the idea, or maybe it was a TV show I was watching. I don't remember that the concept of a lot of times the friends that you have in middle school are not the friends you have when you grow up. Not that you didn't have right. real relationships and real bonds with them, but like generally you kind of just drift apart. Oh, it was when I watched, a. um, was good boys. Okay. That's, okay. that's a big theme of that, that, that movie. So yes, I have those connections and those, those things that bring you that nostalgia, but I didn't find myself getting, I mean, at the same time, there's Pennywise in this film. So, <laughs> so, all right. So let's, let's wrap up. Let's wrap up this section. Obviously it's time for the popcorn ratings. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the moment. Now, if you've never listened to an episode of the popcorn diet before, obviously you should stop and go back and listen to episode 15 at the very least. Um, but we do our ratings a little bit differently. Instead of saying number of popcorns, even though David and I slip into it every now and then, we like to rate our movies based on a certain level of popcorn. So it's it's either one of five different levels. We have burnt popcorn, which means a movie is garbage. Don't bother wasting your time, even if it's free. We have stale popcorn, which means like, eh, maybe don't spend any money on it. It's not very good. We didn't like it. It's stale. We have microwave popcorn, which is solidly in the middle. It's fine. It's not super impressive, but it's also not the worst thing in the world. Your mileage may vary on it. We have movie theater popcorn, which means you should probably go see this in a movie theater. And then we have perfect popcorn, which is go see this on a big screen as soon as possible. And if we ever feel that a movie falls in between any one of those popcorns, we throw a soda on it as well. So instead of microwave popcorn, it'd be microwave popcorn and a soda. So for It Chapter 2, David, what would you say is your popcorn rating for It Chapter 2? I'm going to give it movie theater popcorn. It's it's definitely not perfect. I think you at least owe it to you if you enjoyed the... owe it to yourself if you saw the first and liked the first to go and see this i i think you'll walk away saying it was a good closing to this you know small little franchise that we had i I assume we won't get more of these maybe we will who knows in this day and age if it makes 700 million again then it wouldn't surprise me if we get more right but all that being said i think this is a great follow-up to it definitely is bloated and long yeah but I, but I enjoyed it. I think there's great performances in it, um, led by, in my opinion, Skarsgård as Pennywise All right. um, and Hater. Um, but Hater's yeah, really I, I enjoyed it a, a ton. Hater is really good. I'll give it movie theater popcorn as well. It's definitely not everybody's cup of tea. It is definitely not so amazing that you absolutely have to go see it. If you've seen the first one, then yeah. You got to go see the second one. You got to invest the time. You got to see how the story is done. So you should go see it as soon as possible. But it's it, it is really unique as a horror film. Again, I found it to be way more bombastic and blockbustery than maybe any other horror film that I had seen before. I, I think it's bigger on a scale compared to most horror films that I'm not used to seeing. And I think a lot of the stuff that you see on the screen here is really kind of big level horror that you should probably see on a big screen. There are a couple of really, really great sequences, great monster sequences, great scare set pieces and stuff like that that really are going to be effective on the big screen. So that's why I'm giving it movie theater popcorn as well. Now, obviously, we got a lot of spoilers to talk about here. we got to wrap up this franchise with a lot of spoiler talk. But before we do, we got to take a quick little break. 
What's up, good movie buddies? Before we get to the spoilers, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free just by hitting the subscribe button or following wherever you're listening from. We really appreciate you taking just a second to hit that button, give us a rating, write us a review, share The Popcorn Diet with any of your other good movie buddies. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Consider throwing a few dollars towards the development of the podcast. Not only is that going to help us improve the podcast, but it's going to give you exclusive patron-only access to early ad-free episodes, to our Oscar uh, prognostication episodes that we're about to get ready for, our Oscar primers. We're getting ready to do a franchise refill series on the Terminator series coming up in preparation for Terminator Dark Fate. And you can only get that stuff by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and becoming a patron. Of course, we don't want you to forget about Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us on all of those at the popcorn diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, any articles, reviews, Oscar predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But David, we got a lot of spoilers. There's a lot. Of, you got a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions, <laughs> comments, concerns, gripes, all of those gripes. Gripes, groans, and moans. Nitpicks, I have everything. some questions as well. Obviously, the first thing I want to do before we get into any gripes and things like that or any, any challenging questions, although I did look at them, I feel like I have a pretty decent answer for most of them. Yeah, I just want to be educated by you. Okay, and I'm happy to help. <laughs> But I did want to talk about some of our some of our favorite parts of this movie and and some of the changes that it made within the book. Now, neither you nor I read the book, so we're not as um, we're not as married to the source material as most people are. And that's what I found interesting is that a lot of the a lot of the uh, fluff, in my opinion, a lot of stuff that could be trimmed out is actually stuff that is in the book. Case in point, everything involving Henry Bowers in this movie could be cut. I think, in my opinion, and I don't know if you share that opinion with me, but Henry Bowers is the mean, racist, you know, bully from the first movie who Pennywise kind of corrupts and kills his dad, and then they throw him down the the well, and you never see him again in the first movie. And in this movie, it shows us that he washed out, got convicted for the murders, and is growing up in this insane asylum where he's this old, older, you know, uh, <laughs> mullet hillbilly, you know, Jerk, evil psychopath, right? Sure. I just don't think he had that big of an impact on his movie. I feel like most of the stuff you could have taken out, although I appreciate how, like, his uh, he stabs Eddie in the cheek and Eddie stabs him back, and I appreciate how Richie uses that later on to yep. convince Eddie that he is braver than he thinks. And I don't, yeah. th I don't know you could do that another way, but I felt like Henry Bowers, we could have lost, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, I think there's... There's there's probably 10 minutes you could I, I think sure. he still serves a purpose. He calls back to Ben and the carving that he got by yeah. by Bowers in the first film. Um, so there's some of that. Plus, there's the whole unresolved aspect of. I mean, I guess you could have just assumed that he died when he got tossed down there, but everybody that knows the books or, or knows the story was expecting him to come back in some way. But I think you could have dealt with it a little bit quicker than what you did. There was the whole like aspect, because I think what hurt it in the film in this version is, uh -huh. and I don't know the books real well, but from my understanding of the books, 
he's kind of working with Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. Pennywise is basically fueling him. And in this, they hint to it, but more in like he's crazy right. type of thing. And right. like whatever his experience with Pennywise in that well was mm-hmm. caused him to be crazy because he uses the whole like it's time for you to float and that kind of stuff. Right. In and this. he's got basically Pennywise... Pennywise takes many forms in this film, as we've discussed, and the form that Pennywise takes for adult Henry Bowers is his old buddy, uh, Hawk Settler, yeah. who was killed in the first movie, and they drive around in his old Camaro, and it's like, all right, but is he crazy? Like, is is he's never, because when he confronts the losers, he's never really like, Pennywise is coming to get you. He's just like, stabby, stabby, right? Yeah, I can't remember anything like that. But there's also big things that they took out. Like, for example, Bill's wife and Beverly's husband play major roles in the book. Uh, Beverly's husband tracks her down to Derry. Bill's wife shows up in Derry. And Beverly's husband grabs Bill's wife. And they basically are – Beverly's husband's killed by Pennywise. And then Bill's wife is made catatonic by looking at the deadlights. And the mm-hmm. book ends with her, like, waking up. It's like, oh, that's the happy ending. Whereas in this movie, they're both in the in the beginning, and that's it. So yeah. that's a big thing they took out. And then there's other stuff as well. Like, I know we talk non-spoilers that Mike didn't seem like he had a lot to do, but he's actually more involved in the ending here than he is in the book. In the book, he's a major um, substance abuser. He's drunk. He's on drugs. And this only kind of hints at it. I never really got the feeling that he was full-blown into an addict phase. They didn't. I, I mean, I didn't even see... He knocks over a booze bottle, I think, at one point, and then he drugs Bill. Yeah, but the drug was more the callback to the whole like Native American thing. Right, it's, I, I gotta get it's, you to see this. It's the trip that he did with the Native Americans, probably the same thing they gave him in that process. So, yeah, it was a little weird. He more seemed like someone that was just more like teensy bit crazy because he's lived his whole life obsessed with something. Sure. And, and you know, works. and yeah. also, and also, obviously, they also kind of reference the whole time that like everybody's got kind of this disease that Pennywise rubbed off on them, right? And so they're all a bit broken, broken from that standpoint. Sure. Which to me, like, you don't even have to say like Pennywise affected each of them. I, I, I mean, know. if if we you saw the first movie, well, I mean, if you went through the experience they did at that age, you would all be affected permanently by it. Yeah. If you saw what you saw and went through what you went through, you would all be affected by it. You don't need some like mysterious mythical like aspect of it. Right. Exactly. Um, so th- and that was and in the book, he's in the hospital. He's not even with them in the final confrontation. So you, there were a couple moments during that final confrontation where they kind of just like, oh, Mike hid under this rock. And it's like, oh, they couldn't – they wanted to write him into the final confrontation, but they didn't really have anything for him to do, you know? Yeah. So I found that interesting. What would you say is your favorite, like, set piece of the movie? We talked about set pieces and stuff like that, and there's a lot of them. I wanted to list off a couple and get your thoughts on them. Um, obviously, the first dinner when they – so actually, there's one I skipped over, and it's the opening. And the opening is – this movie's really brutal. I thought as well mm-hmm. in that this movie kills two children and and it has a extremely hate filled homophobic attack mm-hmm. on two gay guys in Derry that I was like unsettled. Right. I was sure. just like, man, this is rough where Pennywise uh, the, there's it, and it kind of goes into some of your questions about Derry as a town and the sickness that inhabits that entire town. But yep. 
basically, um, d- these these this gay couple, these these two men are are beaten terribly, and one of them is thrown over the bridge into the river. Pennywise ends up fishing him out of the river and then like eating his like heart out, essentially. Yep. And you see it pretty much. Yep. Um, that is got to be the first like sequence. It's pretty terrifying in general. The first dinner when they all get together and they start seeing all these little creatures. I love the creature designs in this movie. There's some really good, weird stuff on display, like the little eye with tentacles or the little spider with a baby's head. Yeah. Uh, there is the, the the part where everything becomes a little episodic, which is where they all have to split off and find their own artifacts, which is like... Uh, the, the the scene in the trailer with Jessica Chastain where the whole old lady sequence not trailer her old apartment her old no uh, I meant the trailer for the movie oh where yeah, they, yeah, where, yeah, they yeah, yeah. <laughs> where they highlighted it <laughs> yep, but yep. yeah her old apartment where she's terrorized by this this old lady version of of Pennywise um, Eddie is tr- is traumatized by the leper again which I actually really liked Bill is basically confronted with the sewer where Georgie was taken, Ben and the whole locker sequence, Richie and the whole Paul Bunyan sequence. Like those are all their big sort of artifacts. Arcade and Paul the arcade Bunyan, yeah. as well. Yep, exactly. Um, and then the final confrontation is split off into their own little things as well. Obviously, and this is where I thought it got really big because they're fighting this gigantic Pennywise spider crab monster. I'm like, this is big fantasy stuff. This is like Lord of the Rings and fighting Sheebulb in, in Lord of the Rings, you know? Like, sure. big, big stuff. But then they break it down into smaller things. Like, they start in the Kneebolt house, and they're dealing with Stan's head, which mm. I love that sequence. That turned into a spider. Turned into yes. spider head. Then when they're in the caves, they got to pick the scary doors like they did in the first film. They're confronted with a lot of things from the first film. Mm-hmm. Ben is being buried alive because he's worried about dying alone. Beverly is being drowned in a vat of blood. In like, I think the most blood ever in any movie ever. It's like this whole bathroom stall full of blood. Mm-hmm. Bill's in the flooded basement and Mike well, is under sand. a rock somewhere. What? That one's not water. That's like sand coming in. Ben is sand. Bill, yeah. There's so many bees. Oh, ben yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is sand and Bill Bill's is the, in the water. water in the basement. Yep, yep. So those were all kind of the ones that I had split off. Was there any one of those that was like you would say? And there's ones I didn't even mention. There's the girl dying underneath the bleachers, which is pretty creepy. Yep. There's the whole sequence where Bill's trying to save the, the kid carnival. in the mirrors, which is like, damn, they just straight up killed that kid right there. Um, did Hot. you have any of those favorites or did am I missing any? I think I got them all, but I'm not sure. There's stuff with Henry that I didn't mention. Yeah, there's little things here and there. Um, You missed the... Did you miss the... Did you get Eddie's in the pharmacy? Did you mention that one? Dealing with the leper and his mom tied up and then him strangling the leper and realizing that he has power over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the bits I didn't think connected when the leper... it was like, okay, this is really intense. He's choking it. He's choking it. He's choking it. Then the leper throws up on him, and it cuts like a three-second clip of just call me angel in the morning. And yeah. I, that was, I was like, that why, was do, really... why do we do that? That didn't really work. Um, yeah. But, yeah. That or they needed to drag it along longer. Like, 
it needed to go longer. Uh-huh. But like you hadn't done that with anybody else. So right. it was kind of weird. It was kind of jolting to right. suddenly get that. Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, it was funny, but if it would have been happening more throughout the movie, I think it would have been more effective. But um, to answer your question, my favorite is the first dinner. Okay. Um, it brings a lot of camaraderie. It kind of establishes the chemistry back with... Uh, between this group right um, it's fun especially if you try and think of it in context of like each of their characters in the first film even with the ones who have majorly changed you know i.e ben um, even thinking through it that way it's it's it was just such a fun scene there's lots of funny parts of it bill Hader and um and i always forget his name james ransom's mm-hmm. characters are great in it kind of rebuilding that kind of busting each other's balls and and getting on each other is just a lot of fun. So that's the most memorable scene to me. Yeah. I, I would say the other thing that I really enjoy would be um, it, probably in the final confrontation when they're in each of their own little things. I think that was really well. But mm-hmm. it's it's going to be the first dinner that I think I remember the most. Yeah, the first dinner is really good and it really establishes like this is how he screws with us again and and all that. I I. I I know this is like dark, but I liked how like a mean Pennywise is killing the kid in front of Bill in the House of Mirrors. I was just like, that's br- brutal, brutal stuff. And I appreciated that in a two hour and third, like a two hour, 50 minute horror film that a lot of people I've seen like, oh, it's excess or it's not very scary. I'm like, listen, man, that clown eats two kids in this movie. On screen, like bites them in the head. So I, I like that scene a lot. I wanted to list off a couple references before we got to your There's questions. There's a bunch of them. There's a boatload of references. The one that obviously there were a couple that stuck out to me right when I was watching it. Like for example. There's a direct reference to The Shining during Beverly's sequence where one of the people terrorizing her yells, "Here's Johnny." Mm-hmm. I love the reference to the thing. So in the in the Kneebolt house, when Stan's severed head grows spider legs, it's almost identical to way the, the way the severed head grows spider legs in John Carpenter's The Thing, which in The Thing has a guy look at it and yell, you gotta be fucking kidding me, which Bill Hader does in this movie. So it's almost like a direct reference to The Thing, and I love that because The Thing is one of my favorite horror movies. Uh, there's some cameos in here that are really great. Peter Bogdanovich, who's a pretty famous director, Hollywood presence, really not much since the 70s and 80s, but he serves as the director on the mm-hmm. fake movie that they're making at the beginning of the film. Stephen King, obviously, cameos as the pawn shop owner. The uh, Another big change in the... this as As weird and metaphysical as this movie gets, it also isn't as weird as it could get because the book has this cosmic turtle Mm -hmm. that literally created our universe because he like sneezed and that is not in this movie but there is a turtle sculpture in one of the classrooms that is not not prominent and then the last reference is many many people make reference to bill who is an author and a screenwriter and the fact that the endings of his books suck and that has long since been a criticism of some of Stephen King's works that he's not known for having the greatest endings. Case in point, the ending of It is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Metaphysical cosmic turtles and all sure, these things involved sure. with it. The book ending is different 
than this film in a lot of different ways. In the book, the town is washed away in like a natural disaster type event, kind of like the cleansing of dairy after Pennywise is gone. We mentioned the stuff about Mike. We mentioned how the turtle comes into play. Like they literally have to tap into the turtle's energy to defeat it. There's some weird, weird stuff in the book that I think they wisely scaled back. I think they have plenty of the, you know, cosmic stuff in this with the deadlights and whatnot. Yep. But I, I appreciated how meta it got. It got so much to the point where Stephen King is the old pawn shop owner telling the guy his books suck. Yep. So I appreciated that. Um, I wanted to go. Th- I love the thing reference. Might be my favorite thing in the entire movie. But now, David, we get to wrap it up with a little a little dairy Q&A, shall right. we say. You have some questions. Uh, I, I got a number of things. And I think I have some answers. Some of them are just kind of comments, observations, kind of rapid fire. We don't need sure. to spend a whole lot of time. Sure. We won't go another hour and 30 minutes. On you me. know, we've got this group we call the losers. And yes. We emphasize what a bunch of losers these people are. I get it. It's kind of their club calling name. Right. They kind of go the opposite route with where they are in life. And you could sure. you could argue they all still have their issues, which you would if you went through that as a kid. Uh-huh. Um, but you got, you know, Richie's this big time comedian, seems to be doing very seems well for himself. Well. He's got a nice car. Bill is some big time writer, even though his endings suck. Everybody says he's big time they're, making I, movies. They're adapting his Seems book. to be doing very well. Uh, Beverly, obviously her relationship is has issues. Putting it, mildly, see, putting it mildly. Putting it mildly. Her sucker punch abusive husband. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, brutal scene there in the beginning. Not great. But you also realize that they're like pretty well to do. And they even reference that he's some like big time designer. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, you know, they're all she's not without money is what I'm getting at. Right. Uh, ben is some big time architect now. Yep. Which it's funny when they went to that scene. When they first introduced Ben, I thought he was the dude standing up explaining the layout yeah. because he kind of looked more like what you would think Ben looked like. Uh-huh. Not because he was like chubby or anything like that. He, I mean, he was probably, I guess, maybe a little overweight, but sure. he had like more of the complexion, same color hair right. as what Ben did in the first movie, whereas you get... The actual Ben, who's, who's like, on the screen, who doesn't look anything like the no. original Ben. And I think they did that on purpose. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then you have Eddie, who, while he's got more of the boring like job at the insurance company as a risk analyst, a la Ben Stiller's character in, in uh, Heartbreak Kid. Heartbreak Kid, yeah. He's obviously doing all right for himself, driving an Escalade to start the movie. Yep. And then you got even Stanley, who's living in this nice house, planning a impromptu trip to Buenos Aires. Not bad. I mean, not doing bad. I, I mean, he's Mike's an accountant. He's into uh, Mike's about the only person who's, yeah, who's he's out a, here, you know, cooped up in the library, which and he never left. How does he live in the library? I don't know. How does no one notice some dude living in the attic of the library? That's an answer to most of your questions is that dairy is just a weird place. Like the fact that Pennywise does no one go in this library? Is it only a seasonal library because they go in there during the day and there's no one in there? It's, yeah, he I, comes and goes. It's. I think they get to use that excuse that because they established that in the first movie that dairy is is filled with this badness, this sure, this, 
this evil that uh-huh. permeates into everyone around it. It permeates into the bullies. That's why. And bad people don't like libraries. Apparently, apparently no. Who okay. Likes? Bad people don't like to read. It's like a sanctuary. So he knows he's safe from Pennywise and nobody, in the lab- and nobody library. And cares either that he's yeah. living there. Okay. You know? Okay. All right. But that, that excuses a lot of the violence. Like, again, the uh, I've seen a lot of criticisms of the bashing at the beginning of the film. That is such a deep and and relevant example of just evil, disgusting behavior, you know? Well, that's, they, that's why. And they took a little bit different. I feel like movies these days, maybe it's the political landscape, whatever the case it's may always be. always the political landscape. But, like, typically, like... I feel like horror movies these days or movies in general these days, like those people would have kind of been the ones to actually get killed by Pennywise. Like typically like, you know, they give everybody that satisfaction of like the douchebags got killed. Right. But not this, you know, not this using that. He's basically using them. This is what allows Pennywise to thrive is in and this. he feeds off of the victims of that evilness sure, like the sure. you go and the back fear. to the fear they're they're scared for themselves because they're getting the crap beat out of them and they might exactly, die here so exactly they're tastier to pennywise i get it i get it uh i just thought it was funny that ben hanscom is his name and he's you know very <laughs> very handsome guy you ben, know get it oh get it? oh i like that i didn't catch that <laughs> ben hanscom Good for ben him, Hanscom? by the way. Good yeah, for him. absolutely. Good for him. Good for fictional Allow, character. Allowing the, uh, the chubby kid and, you know, going with that trope of Doesn't the, always happen. the chubby kid in high school being the good-looking dude down the I line. I speak from experience. Doesn't always happen. Uh, Dairy Maine. All right. This, so this is where we get a little bit into the city itself. Sure. All right. So this doesn't seem like the most accessible town. Does Dairy, Maine. It definitely, I mean, Maine in general is not very accessible. It definitely but doesn't have its own airport. It doesn't have its own airport. No. But somehow, all these people who are living all across the country, it appears, you know, I would assume Bill is in Hollywood because making movies. I mean, I guess you could technically have a studio anywhere, sure. but it seemed no, like he's a studio lot. He was in California for sure. Um, but everybody was able to get to this small town within 24 hours and make it for dinner time. Okay. The next day seemed a little, seemed a little interesting. Um, you know, I also have this issue with, and, and maybe you're going to tell me it's just cause it's, it's just an evil town, sure. but like, how are people still living in this town? Like the murder disappearance death rate seems to be astronomical. Like it I'm, does. I'm guessing this town is like max, like. 15, 20,000 people max. So, like, absolute max. Some stats here. So, Derry, Maine is said to be near Bangor, Maine, or slightly based on Bangor, Maine. Okay. Um, which is a city in Maine. Its population is a little over 30,000. Okay. Um, it does have an international airport, which I have to imagine is only because it flies to Canada or sure. maybe Greenland. Um, but I think you are right. I think it was established in the first movie how all these kids are going missing, but nobody puts it together. Nobody, there's there's almost a film that's over everybody's eyes. There's a haze that everybody lives in because of this cosmic evil underneath the town that makes people worse and keeps them from really connecting the dots and all but of it, it. But even still, I mean, if... If you had a kid disappear, would you really be like letting your kid run wild at the carnival if someone just disappeared at like a softball game or a baseball game, whatever was going on? We're just going to let our kids run, run rampant. Imagine if uh, the way I look at it is that it's a sickness, but I look at it as everybody's 
a certain level of like inebriated or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not incapacitated, but sure. um, under the influence, there's a word specifically that is escaping me. Okay. And they're all under this particular influence. So just to the in point, a haze kind of thing? Yeah, man. You know, like this? they're just living to the point of where this maybe to that one person, it's terrifying, but they don't get together like a community. You know, that's that's the whole thing is they don't really band together like we would in in any similar way. All right. Well, and how do they how do is, you know, you got that scene with Richie by the Paul Bunyan. How does someone not notice him like sprinting around the park and right. like rolling on the ground, Same like thing. trying to dodge something That's like what makes everybody it s- just kind of, you know, <laughs> whatever this dude's just another day. That's what makes it like this, like be all end all excuse is that Richie running around and acting like a lunatic being terrorized in his own mind. Same reason that the kids dying, nobody cares, whatever. They just pe- people just don't care that much. And that kind of that kind of brings me to too. It, the one thing that's always a little bit confusing, and I guess I get it. We're living in like this world of like an alien clown, uh, right? But I'm always interested in like how like half the time it's just in their heads, uh-huh. and the other half the time it's actually him. Like mm-hmm. part of me is confused, like. Is he actually there or is he somehow manipulated? Because he obviously wasn't in the Chinese restaurant. Right. Yet somehow he was getting them to see these right. fortune cookies come to life. Uh-huh. And all of them see the same thing. Uh-huh. You know, and I get it. They said they're all connected in that way and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But you got like each of them are going and finding their artifacts. I'm guessing some of that overlapped. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like Richie was in the arcade the same time Beverly was in... I don't think they all went in sequential and I know they all get to the house kind of one at a time. Mm -hmm. So it kind of plays up to them maybe being in different sequences, but at the same time, like how is he in multiple places across town? When we, when we give him this limit of having a body that, you know, breaks, you know, helps Henry Bowers drive off in his old car, which somehow has a physical presence. He literally physically like eats people. To me, it's a matter of it, it. To me, it's a lot like looking at a like a like Grubhub. I'm online and I'm looking versus I'm actually eating the food. Okay. And so I think a lot of those sequences, the the physical actual Pennywise isn't there for a lot of those sequences. Mm-hmm. But he's firing up the grill, so to okay. speak. He's over here. He's saying, "All right." This 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 meal is going to be prepared in 45 minutes. I'm building my pizza. Okay. Oh, I want this on it. I want this on it. So I'm going to scare them with these little bugs. I'm going to scare them with the Paul Bunyan. And then when they're ready, I can I can pop out at any moment and actually eat them. That's okay. how I picture it, you know. And so that, but it's really interesting in that most of the time when somebody is harmed by Pennywise, he's either there. Or he has them completely under the control of fear. Sure. You know, the uh, like for the, like the little girl, for example, that he eats, she's not really that scared. She's actually like, okay, I'll be your friend, and then he eats her, right? Yeah. But I I venture to guess that a lot of the reasons that most of these guys get out alive from these sequences is a Pennywise isn't there, and b they get to the point of where they. The whole way you defeat Pennywise is by taking away his power. Sure. Like, it's just well, not being scared, yeah. By not being scared, exactly. But that's one of, like, 
one of the reasons I found Eddie's death interesting, which is, again, this is where I, I – listen, it got me a little bit at the end. It got me a little bit. As an overweight guy, it got me that the overweight guy got the girl. I gotta sure. get I gotta get freaking abs I mean, like this yeah, guy. Yeah, you gotta But I like yeah. I, I I liked the, I, I recognize that that insecurity, I recognize that feeling mm-hmm. and I connected emotionally with it. Sure. Likewise with losing a friend, I connected emotionally with that as well. So I got listen, I got a little dusty. Yeah. Got a little dusty in there. Um but again, it goes back to the way that all of these uh characters are able to either Take away the fear from Pennywise, which takes away his fun. And when Eddie dies, he doesn't in the in the book and in the miniseries, I think, Pennywise eats his arm, bites his arm off. Okay. Which makes sense for Pennywise. He wants to eat these kids, these yep. grown adults. In this movie, he gets impaled with one of Pennywise's claws, with big tentacle claws. Mm-hmm. It works fine in the movie but that was another inconsistency yep. like why like Pennywise you want to eat these kids why'd you stab them why'd you yeah. go, why, why not eat them so I get it yeah but the, what's the, the excuse is that yeah, it's this crazy fantastical thing alright couple more things alright um, how did no one come running into that room where they were eating at the Chinese restaurant earlier it took them a I while I mean they're yelling and screaming and the lady comes in even when she sees him like banging a chair on the table and it's not like you're gonna have to pay for this no nope. like she seems it's, super non she's just about like it. okay i'll go get your bill type of thing like is there an issue can right. i you know there's there's nothing more and if this was a case of dairy being dairy you would think that she would be like uh more terrible about it yeah absolutely right? more I of a know. jerk about it but All yeah right. i was like wow she's super chill about that all right. Um, this one this one goes a little dark, and we don't need to linger too much on it. This is what we're going to wrap it up with? No, I, I, I got some lighter stuff to, <laughs> okay, to end good, it here. Good, But you got the – one of the things that surprised me was the way that they handled everything with Stanley. Sure. Um, specific to the suicide. You know, you had some of the, the blowback from – what was the Netflix series that they changed? 13 the Reasons to? Why. 13 Reasons Why. Don't get me started. I, I won't. I won't. But you had – you had um, – well, I'll 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 hit the more serious part, and then we'll come back to the other part okay. about Stanley. The question I have, but doesn't it seem like it's kind of walking that line, especially in today's world, to say someone basically unselfishly killed themselves, like right. he killed themselves for the greater good? Like right. that feels like kind of a like someone who's not in a right mindset, like might genuinely think like I'm doing this for the greater good. And exactly. It seems like I'm a, doing everybody a favor. It, it's kind of made me feel a little icky at the end from that standpoint. Right. Not, th- not that I didn't get it and understand it. Cause in the, the book, I think you told me before we talked, he just kills himself. They don't hear why he did it. He's just scared to go back. That's, that's why he does it, which to me would make a little bit more sense. Maybe right. it doesn't give you the warm fuzzies. Maybe it doesn't connect to Richie sitting in the church and seeing the stuff back and all their, you know, warm, fuzzy memories about Stanley and missing him. But uh-huh. I'll just say I was a little surprised about it. I get it. And, you know, and I think it goes back to what we talked about, about changing the ending. Right. There is a lot of sadness in the ending of the original. It obviously you lose Eddie. You you have the whole town being washed away. And in the original book, they all forget again. Mm. They all split apart and they forget again. This film makes a couple of those big changes. Town doesn't wash away. Eddie still dies, but they don't forget. Well, they, and they even emphasize 
they stay we, friends. Why didn't we forget? This right. Time? Oh, because the evil's gone, which I guess makes sense. You know, that tracks. Sure. But this is just another example of they clearly wanted this movie to end with the group being together. And they couldn't do that with Stan killing himself. So they had to give him some type of noble purpose. But I sure. do agree that having a character kill himself for some perceived noble purpose and then for everybody to acknowledge, yeah, that was a noble purpose, doesn't set the right example yeah. for other people it's out there. It's not like your typical like heroic right. Gandalf, I'm going to you know, take one for the team type of right. thing. It's it's a little, it's a little bit different. That. And the and the fact that the movie ends with that you know, it ends with Mike and, and Bill saying, I love you, man. Like I love yeah. you too. Like it ends with that bond solidified. It ends with Ben and Beverly off together again. It ends yeah. with Richie being a little more more comfortable in his own skin. Mm-hmm. You you just it, it it just adds to that um uh, it, it almost, you know how we talked about this movie doesn't lean on nostalgia as much? That ending does, though, you know, because it allows you to keep the friendships that you lost. Yeah. It was also interesting to me kind of with that. Well, let me finish up the Stanley story. Okay, too. yes. So Stanley kills himself for the good of the group, which ties into what Beverly Drampton supposedly saw. Uh-huh. The whole reason they don't all just bail and leave the city is because they believe that if they do that they're all destined to die just like stanley did right but we learned that stanley did it on purpose for right. the good of the group so had they ignored coming back would they actually have died the way that she dreamt or was that just something perceived in their mind you know pennywise again playing with their head type of thing i don't know that's a good question maybe it's the case of like uh the way in back to the future the future has changed just a little bit. Remember how the paper changes from Doc Brown committed to Doc Brown commended? Yeah. Like maybe it's like that. Maybe okay. it's if they never would have defeated him, he still would have died, but it would have been for the negative reasons because of the fear and because they did defeat him, it was for positive reasons. Okay. Maybe. I don't okay. know. I'm just making that up. All right. And I know we're, we're running low on time, so I'll, I'll try to go through these. I also thought it was a little interesting how they never like fully committed to – and you can correct me if I'm wrong in my interpretation of this, but Richie's character was gay, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm. Not s- that I didn't understand that, but they never like. Usually, like when someone finally feels comfortable in their skin, at right. least, especially with like someone being gay, that storyline that we've seen in movies before. Sure. Like usually, there's that like actual coming out sure. aspect to it. Sure. And I don't necessarily get the sense that his friends knew. Nor did he actually ever tell them directly. I don't know that he... Yeah, I don't know that he ever did. So he never does that, but we're supposed to say he's more comfortable in his skin. It, it was just a little weird to me that they would play up that so much about who Richie really was. Right. And who, you know, with the... It was a little bit... I've got no issue with like that being part of the storyline. Uh-huh. But it was a little weird to me that... like. They just used it in two like small parts, like the random thing in the arcade. Right. But then they never really came back to it other than like Pennywise kind of being like, I know your dirty secret, they don't like that a, type of thing. They don't put a bow on it like every other insecurity. Yeah. What, I, what I like about the, the, the characters is that they each suffer from a different form of insecurity. Ben obviously always feels like he's going to be the chubby kid who's going to die alone. Beverly has the, the daddy issues, the abusive issues. Um, Eddie's the hypochondriac. 
uh, Richie's heart, you know, hiding who he really is inside, hiding the fact that he's a homosexual. Bill not only has the guilt of his brother, but he's got the stutter. Mike is obviously dealing with being one of the only black people in Derry, Maine, but also like living on his own, you know, Stan well, being his the parents, the whole parents, the whole too. parents burning up things. Stan being the Jewish kid. Um, all of those things, pray, you know, not prey on, but they are highlights of very similar insecurities that exist in this world. And for the most part, all of them are fairly cleared up. You know, Bill doesn't have his stutter. You know, mm-hmm. when he, he gets it back when he comes to Derry and then when he leaves, he doesn't have it again. Mike feels love. He feels that family again. Ben and Beverly, con- you know, get connect, get back together. Eddie fucking dies, you know. S- yeah. Stan dies. Um, Richie doesn't really get that, you know, that that I remember. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really. He The last time we see him, he's carving the R and the E back in, which I guess maybe is the signal of him affirming his. Who belief. is the E, by the way? Eddie. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was his. It was his. You know, and and that always muddies the waters between friendship and and a homosexual relationship because you you don't never get the Eddie's married. You never get the feeling that Eddie reciprocated those yeah, feelings. Yeah. But you know, Richie held that friendship in very, very, very close uh, and very high esteem. Yeah. And so I feel like him going back to the bridge and and recarving it is a sign of that. Uh, kind of recommitment. I don't know if it's a word is recommitment, but of this is who I am. I'm never going to forget this. I'm etching this in wood. This yeah. is hard. This is in there now. All right. So it's not as as overt as the other ones, but it's yeah. it's there a little bit, I suppose. All right. And then on a lighter note, all right. Coming back to Derry, Maine. Yes. What is wrong with this town? <laughs> I mean, people are scre- everything. People are screaming. People are getting murdered. Right. The cops never show up. No. The only time we ever see the cops is when they get to Bowers' house. And we don't even really see that too much. Uh-huh. Like, they get there, they get him, they put him in the crazy bin. But he escapes easily. Straight up I mean, they murders can- another patient. Yep. Murders the guard. Yep. S- runs out. Just gets in his old car, even if it's being driven by Pennywise. He gets in his old car that somehow is still around the town and right. in the same condition that it was 27 <laughs> years ago. Pennywise, man. I guess. It's just not, it's crazy. But it's, no one's like, there's no cops circling the town looking for no this crazy person who literally hunt. murdered people. A bunch of bodies flush out of the sewers and no one like there's no ongoing investigation no sign of cops i think it is made abundantly clear that Derry has if if it even does have some type of authority it, structure it is corrupt and d- not good doesn't like the government like this many bodies happening in a town wouldn't like the fbi show up at some point and be <laughs> like all right we've got to take this over that this. movie is phantoms starring ben affleck like <laughs> Can you imagine like that? And, and as a matter of fact, I think that's a lot of some of Stephen King's um, works deal with authorities, you know, encountering the supernatural. What now? Like, I think wasn't Dreamcatcher one of his? I think I can't remember. Do you, no, let me double check real quick. I want to. I want to make. While sure you're I'm looking up that, also, how's this Niebolt house still standing? I get it. Maybe it's myth magically still standing, but right. like, how's no one burned this down accidentally? Lightning hasn't stricken. Struck it. A homeless person didn't go in there and start That's a fire. The like, so it's just sitting there on that block next to perfectly nice houses. 
so the knee ball for twenty seven plus years. The knee ball house is a representation of the of the disease in dairy, right? Sure, and they sure. they kind of instead of washing, washing away the town, they wash away. They the wash house. the house. Yeah, the yeah. house collapses. Dreamcatcher is adapted from a Stephen King novel, and that is about a government agency dealing with like these crazy this not only a crazy alien invasion, but like mystical powers and Native American powers and stuff like that. Uh, it, uh, suffice it to say, Stephen King has a very similar themes throughout all of his movies, but there are situations. Go watch Dreamcatcher; is a crazy ass movie with a great cast. All right. But um, all right, I'll yeah. take I'll take your word for it. It's crazy, man. What else is that? It? I think that's. Are we it. good? I, I mean, I could keep going, but we it's more of the going. same. We could keep going. Um, suffice to say, again, I. Uh, it's a fun movie to talk about. It's a fun movie to discuss, to watch. It's brutal, but it's also very funny. It's got a lot of different aspects to it, but I really enjoyed it. I'm glad it got made. I'm glad we live in a world where this movie not only is going to get a, a, a respectable adaptation with a big cast, but it's also going to make a ton of money. Uh, horror is really making a big, big comeback in the last few years. I wonder how tied into the political atmosphere that actually is, but... I dig it. I dig how we're getting more high concept horror, how we're getting more a lot of people are calling it like prestige horror, but that's that's they're just good movies. They're good movies made by quality people, you know, with a decent budget and a studio that's not going to get their fingers in it. So, I appreciate it. That is going to do it for this episode, but before we wrap up again, don't forget you can get regular episodes of the Popcorn Diet for free just by hitting subscribe following wherever you're listening from. Take a few seconds to do that and share the podcast with your good movie buddies. Don't forget, we got all kinds of patron-exclusive stuff available by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. We are going to be getting started with our Terminator franchise refill series. And then our Oscar primers are going to start rolling out. Oscar season is, is already underway. Some people would argue. So definitely check that out at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.